0: Knowing the headlines isn't always enough. Sometimes you need to talk about it.
1: For stimulating conversation on the day's hot topics, this is your station. This is your show. The Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chen, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Thursday, February 25th at 9.06. Thanks for tuning in. In about a half hour, we'll talk to Dan Kelly, the president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. He met with Alberta's finance minister yesterday. We'll get a, a bit of a behind-the-scenes look into what that conversation sounded like. I'm especially curious to know, given Mr. Sisi's announcement yesterday, Alberta's finance minister presenting the third quarter economic outlook, and, and he wouldn't say it From the podium, despite the efforts of reporters, but it sounds like the government is expecting Alberta to be looking at a 10 to 11 billion dollar deficit. Keep in mind, that's what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said he was willing to put out there with a federal budget. So when you're talking about a provincial budget, this is significant. We'll talk to Alberta's Finance Minister, Joe Sisi, just after the 11.30 news today. We'll cover Black History Month today. We're going to talk about Vince Lee, now going by Will Baker. Should he be allowed to change his name? We'll put that question out to you. But as promised, as you know, we've been looking forward to catching up with Alberta's Premier for quite some time. We've been making efforts to have her here in studio, but an opportunity presented itself on Tuesday to join Rachel Notley in her office, in the room just off her personal quarters where her cabinet meets. You'll soon be able to see the video at 630ched.com. To give you an idea of the timing, this was about five minutes after Rachel Notley had spoken to a gaggle of reporters about a controversial fundraiser that she attended for the Ontario NDP. It was just a few hours before Tuesday night's controversial fundraiser at the Art Gallery of Alberta, and of course, a day before Minister CC's announcement. That gives you the context. Here it is, our conversation with Rachel Notley. Premier, thank you for your time. Good to be here. Uh, A lot of talk this week about your appearance in an Ontario fundraiser at the Royal York Hotel. You said you don't think it's a big deal, but it seems incongruous for a premier whose bill one out of the gates was to ban union and corporate donations. Doesn't this fly in the face of the tone you set right out of the gates?
2: Well, you know, I think what you have to do is keep an eye, first of all, on what the objective of the legislation is and then the particular facts of this case. So in the case of, of, of banning uh, and li- corporate union donations and ultimately, I hope, limiting the amount that can be donated, it's really about ensuring that uh, a particularly wealthy donor is not able to uh, benefit a particular politician by making a donation to them and then somehow as a result get something that they want in government. So it's a sort of a circular relationship. That of course doesn't exist in this case because uh, I received no benefit from from uh, being uh, Ms. Horvath's guest. Um, in addition, it was very much uh, in accordance with our conflict of interest and, and our Elections Act as we amended. When you look at the fact that corporate donations are allowed in Ontario, I think it's probably fair to say. I mean, I don't know exactly what the Ontario NDP's position is, but they probably would try to ban corporate and union donations were they to, uh, to uh, be elected. But in the meantime, they are a political party operating in a province that allows this kind of fundraising that occurs um, with... Um, with uh, people of all in all different partisan groups, and so as a result, they need to uh, do what they can in order to be able to compete on an equal footing. And I support that. Uh, you know, I uh, asked for money from unions back in the day before we brought in that legislation because we needed to try and and compete on equal footing. And then when you become uh, it, when you find yourself in a position where you can change the rules, then you do if if that's really important to you. But in the meantime. Our democracy is such that it's not helpful to cut off your nose and then go into uh, an election uh, uh, contest with your hands tied behind your back. Because if you do, you will not ever uh, manage to uh, to get into the position to make the rules more fair.
1: It's just I just I feel like I can almost hear mm-hmm. Rachel Notley in opposition just having a field day. With, with Jim Prentice or Alison Redford attending a $10,000 a plate dinner uh, with businesses that do business in Alberta.
2: But to be clear, they never, even then, I, I would have looked at it and I said, well, are they getting any benefit? Well, no, I think this is actually a 10% teapot, because they're not getting any benefit from it. So how does it provide a benefit to the business? So uh, the fact of the matter is, is that any of those people uh, that were at that dinner could come to Alberta and meet with me the way people here can meet with me. Uh, As people have reported, we're having a fundraiser tonight, $250 a ticket. People are allowed to come to that. I also walk down the street in my riding on the weekends. People can talk to me there, and they often do. Often, people contact my office and ask for meetings. And no, I don't get to say yes to every meeting, but I do meet with people uh, quite consistently in my role as premier. So uh, it's not necessary for somebody to do that. So it's 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 that that issue. There is not. Uh, they're not connected in that the you know uh, donation A does not get outcome B because we're not getting any benefit from it. In accordance with the
1: legislation does the unique structure of of the NDP in Canada in that one membership buys you essentially a provincial and federal membership does that connection and the fact that you have to talk about sections of the party does it make it your job more complicated no I don't think so
2: not at all really because it's not that different than than most other parties and and to be clear legally uh, the Ontario NDP uh, and and the federal NDP neither can donate uh, to uh, the Alberta NDP that's a function of our election law, so there's there's no uh, financial relationship there at all.
1: You announced this week a by-election in the riding of Calgary Greenway, of, of, of course, with the passing of Manmeet Bular, That's become a necessity. How much will you as Premier read into the results of that by-election, whatever they may be?
2: Well, I think by-elections are uh, a difficult uh, predictor. You know, I mean, if you were to look at uh, the four by-elections that we had in the um, fall of 2014, I believe uh, the Conservatives won all four of them, and uh, and then just a few a few months later, uh, they really didn't. So uh, you know, by lox- by elections are a moment in time. I think that you know, uh, Manmeet Bular was a, a hard-working representative in that in that riding, and and I think a lot of people will be uh, thinking about his his memory. And and we've uh, our members in that riding have nominated a, an excellent candidate, and she's going to go out and talk to people about why she uh, would be able to be a good. Uh, MLA and, and you know we'll see where the chips fall.
1: Angus Reid has conducted several polls over the last several months in junior approval rating about 50 percent about 53 uh, in, in uh, December it plummeted to 45 February Thirty-three percent. How much does a premier read into approval ratings while in office?
2: Well, I mean, you got to keep an eye out if if, it's, if if things are getting completely out of control and if and whether there's an issue with a particular policy or something. Because I think it's always important for uh, for um, uh, political leaders to to be responsive to the public, and I suppose pol- uh, public opinion polls are part of that. But honestly, they are also impacted by a number of things. We are in the most tumultuous and difficult economic uh, position that Alberta has been in in at least a generation, if not two or three. Uh, and so often, as, a, as I just outlined, I mean, if you were to look six months before the last election, our party uh, had something like 12 or 13 percent. And uh, so the fact of the matter is, is polls change very quickly. Uh, and so my goal as Premier is to do what I can to support Albertans through these very, very difficult times and to create a record uh, that I can be proud of so that that when it comes to that election time, when we get a little bit more tuned into what the polls are saying, um, uh, I have a record to run on that I'm proud of, that I think uh, connects with uh, a significant number of Albertans.
1: Your colleague in Saskatchewan, Bradwall, his approval rating is sitting right around 62% right now, close to double yours. Do you read into that at all, and do you think it might have anything to do with styles of leadership, specifically out, how outspoken and even aggressive he's been in promoting the energy industry? Uh, You know, I feel that I've actually been doing a lot
2: of work promoting the energy industry myself. I was very pleased to uh, go out to Toronto, uh, to speak to people there about uh, our climate leadership plan and also the importance of getting uh, a pipeline built, uh, not only to Albertans, but to all Canadians who uh, rely on the prosperity that is generated out of Alberta. So I actually think that uh, I've been doing a lot of of, uh, work across the country, talking to people that that might otherwise be uh, somewhat uh, resistant to the need for pipeline infrastructure, talking to them in a respectful way. about the issues they're concerned about and making the case on the merits for the pipeline infrastructure that we need. And so I think that that's the way to go. Now, when I'm doing that, I'm not playing to my base at home. I'm actually trying to get the outcome uh, that we need back here at home and, quite frankly, across the country. And so that's my focus right now is the outcomes. It's not about uh, playing for the folks back home. And, uh, you know, if we get the outcome, I, I, I hope that it will also help back here, but at this point my focus is on trying to get the best results for Albertans.
1: How much of your political success is tied to the success of the Energy East Pipeline?
2: Um, you know, I I, I uh, don't know entirely. I think certainly um, all politicians' political success uh, will ultimately be. I think the Prime Ministers will be and I frankly think that all premiers are going to have to take some responsibility for it ultimately because I think that as an um, energy producing nation, uh, even as we are, the world is moving uh, to a less uh, carbon intensive economy and moving away from non-renewable energy, the fact of the matter is, is that move is not going to happen overnight. And we are a progressive energy producer. And so we should be able to do that in a smarter way possible. And if we're not successful, all of us, at making that happen, it's going to undermine uh, the economic success of our country. And I think ultimately that all of us who are in leadership positions across the country uh, may well pay a price.
1: Were you paying any attention to the goings-on in a Walmart parking lot down in Calgary last week with George Clark and his fifth wheel and his coup d'etat initiative? is that on your
2: radar? Uh, not much. Uh, you know, I heard it was going on, but uh, but I wasn't uh, uh, spending a lot of time uh, watching it. But you know, I think that uh, in any healthy democracy there needs to be an opportunity uh, for people who disagree with the government to express themselves. Sometimes they express themselves uh, to the government, sometimes they express themselves to other people in the province sometimes they express themselves to the media that's part of a healthy democracy and and so um it's it it's an evidence that uh, that continues here in alberta
1: it's fair enough to state that ezra levant disagrees with you and, and sheila Gunn reid and the rest of the rebel media i can almost see a physical mm-hmm. response from you when i say that <laughs> and i'll say yeah. that you and i have something in common i think in that i don't have much time for that Uh, what do we want to call it, an agency of commentary either, but your government certainly took some lumps in trying to, what was perceived as at least, silence rebel media. Does your government, do you think, have an optics problem?
2: No, I I don't think so, but I do believe, I mean, to be clear, I mean, we weren't ever suggesting we would silence rebel media. Rebel media will always do what rebel media does, and that's great, but there's no question that uh, uh, it was not a good decision to single them out for saying you can't have access to our to our um, press conferences, and so uh, we have now asked as a respected person in the media to come and give us some advice on how we deal going forward with. Uh, social media participants um, and uh, and how we ensure that it 's not us that 's making a decision around this social media participant, that social media pers- participant and that you know thirty year journalist uh, that 's not for us. I do agree in fact that it was not for us to make that distinction. Uh, we would like. For some advice uh, on how to deal with it, because it's a changing environment, as as you know, um, in terms of uh, who uh, suggests that they are in the media and uh, and starts um, asking to be treated um, in the same way that, that other um, more um, uh, you know traditional. Uh, traditional media outlets are, uh, but at the same time we know that there's great. Uh, democracy that comes from new media. So we need to make sure that that we can facilitate that. So that was not a decision uh, that at the end of the day I thought um, I needed to maintain. And I think that uh, we we admitted that we made the wrong choice there and uh, and, uh, we'll go from there.
1: You're obviously a seasoned politician. You've seen a lot down here at the Alberta legislature, but no doubt the game is different when you're premier. What's the personal impact of accusations that you're not looking out for Albertans or accusations that you don't care about the oil industry or that you're ignoring what people think?
2: Well, you know, I think it's always been my view either when I was in a caucus that that enjoyed uh, 8% of the popular vote or 9% of the popular vote, which I believe it did when I was first elected, to being in the government now, uh, that I work to do the job uh, that I uh, think is the best I can do that represents the greatest number of people. Um, I'm driven by the goal of, of serving Albertans and ensuring that we, we um, uh, in our role of government, uh, are able to help and support them as best as we can. And as long as that continues to be what drives my decision-making, then it continues to be rewarding. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time reading my own press because, quite frankly, I don't think that's helpful uh, to anybody, let alone um, a premier or a politician or a celebrity or anybody else. You need to do things on the basis of what you think are right based on the values that you brought to to the office. And uh, that's what I've been doing since I've been elected, even before I was premier. And that's what I'll continue to do.
1: It was interesting uh, to see the formation of, of, of the economic development ministry, headed up by Darren Billis. We had yeah. an opportunity to chat with him as soon as that announcement was made. Still waiting on details on what the NDP jobs creation strategy will look like. Can, can you provide any for us now?
2: Well, there's more work being done, but of course uh, there, there were some key pillars that we announced last, last fall. Uh, first of all, um, we, we significantly increase the capital investment uh, that we will um, make as a government in order to both uh, take advantage of the fact that prices are a little bit lower and also to provide some job transition for people who are otherwise looking for employment. And so that was the first piece, uh, and that was on the recommendations of uh, um, former Bank of Canada, Governor David Dodge. Um, the second thing that we did was we uh, freed up a, a lot of... Um, uh, financing opportunities for uh, not only business in general but small and medium enterprises and also for venture capital people because at this time of economic contraction uh, business owners and and job creators can find it harder to get access to that capital that would help them transition to the next phase of their business. So we opened up uh, over $2 billion uh, there last fall. Um, The third thing that uh, of course is just a uh, something to be considered in, in, as it relates to the alternative in that we've adopted this approach that stability in public services and stability in public investment needs to be maintained right now. That we're not going to pile on to the, the um, uh, trials within our economy by pulling more money out and firing teachers and nurses and other public servants. So that stability of public management, while it's engaged with prudence, will, generally speaking, remain the same.
1: Will we see a budget before the March 22nd by-election?
2: Uh, we are wanting to see the outcome of the federal budget uh, before we lock down the final numbers on ours. And uh, as you would know, the uh, federal government just delayed their, their budget. So I suspect you'll see ours coming after
1: that. Brian Jean, of course, put together this equalization fairness panel, and they'll be reporting back to the legislature by October 15th, leading up to a renegotiation slated for 2019. Are Albertans getting a fair shake when it comes to equalization?
2: Well, I think that uh, um, equalization over time uh, has helped build our country, but there's no co- question that uh, right now, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, we don't, we we would rather see uh, more money coming back to Alberta to support us. So, the the issue with the equalization formula is that there's such a delayed uh, implementation of it based on the the measures. Is that even if it changed tomorrow, we wouldn't see a change. Um, for for a few years down the road and so what we're saying to the federal government very emphatically is that we need help from you now. We need uh, changes to EI. We need uh, a major infrastructure investment uh, now and, and up upfront. And uh, we also uh, need you to move quickly on the issue of pipeline infrastructure working with um, leaders in uh, other provinces and other civil society leaders helping us to make the case of why this is important. Now obviously the federal government needs to let the NEB process run its course, and I agree with that, because uh, politicizing the NEB process is not helpful. But what they can do is make sure that we have a beginning and a middle and an end to that process, and that it does not go on indefinitely.
1: Do you believe you have a receptive audience with the Prime Minister in in lobbying for changes to the EI structure across Canada? Do you have a timeline in mind? Uh, I don't have a specific timeline but I have made the case
2: uh, very assertively uh, to the Prime Minister that, that we need those changes right now because families are hurting right now and uh, it can't wait for some larger review. It needs to happen right now and, uh, and uh, I think he heard me because I kept saying it over and over and over. We flew from Edmonton to Calgary and, and uh, it, it came up a lot.
1: <laughs> Finally, you recently added to your cabinet six new members, uh, including uh, Stephanie McLean as a minister of Service Alberta. Then yeah. she, of course, added to her own brood with the yes. a- arrival of, of her young son. Congratulations to the NDP family on that. We had a lively debate uh, mm-hmm. on my show about that. Okay. Many people, of course, supported the progressive nature mm-hmm. of these cabinet additions, but some questioned the timing, most specifically a cabinet minister just about to have a baby. What was the thinking there?
2: Well, the thinking there is that. This, that sometimes women get pregnant, and one of the outcomes of that is that you deliver the baby. And neither pregnancy nor motherhood should impede somebody from getting a promotion that they deserve. And Stephanie McLean deserved that promotion,
1: and I'm very pleased that she got it. Premier, thank you for your time. Thank you. Receiving uh, responses. To our interview with Premier Rachel Notley, we've left some time in this next half hour to hand the floor over to you. When we're back out of these news headlines, Dan Kelly joins us, President and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. How did his meeting go yesterday with Alberta's Finance Minister? Here's the news. Our thanks to the Premier for her time. We'll be getting to your take on what you heard from Rachel Notley as this half hour moves along. We have limited time, however, with Dan Kelly, the president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. So we want to get right to him. Mr. Kelly, thanks uh, for joining us this morning. You recently had a conversation, uh, as a matter of fact, just a day ago with Alberta's finance minister. Generally speaking, how did it go?
3: It was a big chat. We had lots on the agenda, uh, most notably a, a discussion about the potential for Canada pension plan expansion, which is the file that's freaking out small businesses across Canada. But a but a good chat with the minister. He was uh, he was sincere, and uh, I've I, I knew him years ago when I was based in Calgary. I used to lobby him at the City of Calgary, uh, so it was good to reacquaint myself with him.
1: Now, of course, uh, my my general layperson's understanding of of what's going on with the Canada Pension Plan right now is is that our federal government believes that entrepreneurs and business owners are avoiding uh, paying certain taxes by creating small corporations, and so they're looking to eliminate loopholes. And you're saying this is going to squeeze an already squeezed sector. Did I boil that down correctly? Well, there, there are two issues. One is the issue you've just described, which is potential changes
3: to the small business corporate tax rate that, uh, that Prime Minister Trudeau flo- floated during the election, and we've been lobbying hard to try to talk them out uh, of, uh, of some plans. Most notably, we're very worried that they may take away access to the small business corporate tax rate from professionals, uh, people who are doctors, lawyers, dentists, who are running businesses like anyone else, Uh, but yet may no longer be able to access the the lower rate of taxation on small firms. But the other issue, and the one that I spoke uh, with the finance minister about was, uh, the provincial finance minister about was, uh, the Canada Pension Plan expansion. The Fed's also committed to expanding the CPP in conjunction with the provinces. But to expand the Canada Pension Plan, uh, we actually, the the federal government can't do it alone. They need six, sorry, seven provinces representing two-thirds of the population in order to do it. And, obviously, Alberta gets a a big vote on that one. And our goal was to try to ensure that Minister Sisi and the the Notley government more broadly uh, ultimately will say no, that now is not the time, given all of the many, many problems that Alberta is facing right now. Now is not the time to to jack up taxation on uh, on employees uh, and also on small employers right across the piece. Do you believe that you had a receptive audience? Well, the minister was certainly listening, and I'll give him credit for that. I know that philosophically his government, and I think he said this uh, publicly on many occasions, philosophically they, they are on side for, incre- for expanding uh, the retirement savings uh, uh, plan in Canada. Um, but I, I, I'm hoping that they will ultimately say no. This issue is likely to come to a vote. There's likely to be proposals on the table at a meeting of federal and provincial finance ministers in June and then potentially a decision made in 2016. And that, we think, could take a really bad economy and turn it into an absolutely, an absolutely awful economy. Right now, we have in Alberta about one-third of small and medium-sized firms across the province that are looking to reduce the number of jobs that they have in their businesses. And, and when we surveyed our Alberta members, another third said that they would be forced to cut jobs if they had, if they are facing a CPP hike, so that could lead to just an awful job in market for, for individuals for an awfully long time. Bad news if you're looking for work, if the government increases taxes on jobs at the time when you're looking for a job. Well, that's going to make uh, make it even worse.
1: Dan, uh, looking for a candid answer here, I guarantee you, as soon as you say, you know, some businesses say that they're going to be cutting back on their workforce or laying people off if their CPP contributions rise, we'll get comments similar to when Alberta's minimum wage rose, and people will say, "If you have to fire people just because you have to pay them a dollar an hour more, then your business model's broken." How dire is the circumstance right now? Looking again for real talk
3: yeah you know I, I gotta tell you people that say that are the same people that say that anybody that owns a business is automatically rich and, and swimming in dough they don't understand that there are a whole bunch of employers that are you know especially in a downturn like we're in right now are, are sometimes taking advances on their personal credit cards to meet their payroll that month uh, I've got business owners that are remortgaging their home in order to invest in their business to try to keep it afloat during a difficult economic time. And often the business owners will do this because they don't want to tell their employees goodbye. They know that their employees are going to have few other options if they have to lay them off in tough, tough economic times. There's, you know, there's a huge degree of responsibilities employers take to their to their employees. And they cut jobs only when they're absolutely when they absolutely have to, because they know how hard it is to find good people when times when they need them. So I don't know. I, I think that's a very I, I agree that that is a common view out there, but uh, the, there it is an absolute myth that there are a whole bunch of businesses just sitting on pots of money under the floorboards of their business. And 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 also ultimately, any wage pressure, whether it's payroll tax increases like CPP or minimum wage hikes for those that pay minimum wage that money's got to come from somewhere usually it finds its way into the way, into the pricing that we as Canadians pay and I'll, and that takes that takes a toll on our household budget too
1: Dan Kelly president of the CFIB our guest a uh, listener's made a, a pretty concise point and to a certain extent I guess I disagree uh, or rather I would agree with the listener they say cpp is taxation I disagree. Uh, They may be on to something, but when it all comes down to it, it's an added cost. It's an added contribution, correct?
3: Yeah, and we get into this debate all the time. CPP is not a tax, it's a benefit. What people don't know is that 60% of what we pay into CPP goes into our own CPP, 40% of what we pay, all of us. Goes into paying back the the debts of the Canada Pension Plan because of mismanagement in the past. So 40% of what you put into you and I put into CPP does not benefit us. It benefits previous generations who were not paying enough, and for mistakes of governments of the past. So uh, it fits the, the absolute definition of a tax if it becomes voluntary. If a business has a choice and an individual has a choice as to whether to contribute, then I can think an argument can be made that it's not a tax. But
1: until then. It's, it's uh, it. If it smells like a tax, looks like a tax, it's a tax. If it walks like a tax and quacks like a tax, right? You, you got hey, it. Dan, we know, I mean, you, you talk to any small business owner, any entrepreneur, and they'll talk about how there need to be incentives for them to, to invest and to work, and most importantly, to take risks. Uh, what does small business growth look like in Canada right now? And if you can get it down to Alberta numbers as well, I know we'd be interested in those.
3: Absolutely. So, uh in Alberta right now the the situation is not looking good. We do a monthly read of small business optimism across the across Canada. Alberta's number is 26.7 percent versus an average across Canada of uh, of around 60. So it's less than half of the national average in terms of the level of business optimism and growth uh, for the economy. Two thirds of employers in Alberta looking to sorry one third of employers looking to lay off staff. Only about 10 percent of Alberta employers looking to expand or grow uh, in in the next uh, in the next several months in the next three months specifically that's some those are those numbers are historic lows for us since we 've been doing this reading, uh, so it is very, very worrisome. The main message we give to governments at times like these is just don 't make the problem worse. We know we don't certainly don 't blame any government, provincial or federal, for the fact that resource prices have taken uh, fallen into the toilet that 's not the fault of rachel notley it 's not the fault of Justin Trudeau or Stephen Harper, but we do judge a government. Uh, based on what they do with that, and and while there may be more limited we- means for governments to help, there certainly are huge ways in which governments can hurt, and uh, sadly, we've seen a lot of that out of the out of the current government. We, you know, making a taking a bad situation and making it worse rather than making it better. And there's some noise at the federal level that they may be joining in that. And, and that would be a mistake.
1: Dan, we'll be talking to Alberta's finance minister just after the 1130 headlines this morning. And I'll be sure to ask him about this. As you know, yesterday he addressed Albertans with the uh, third quarter economic outlook. And and of course, once you start talking about a deficit that could be about 10 to 11 billion dollars, people will float the idea of a sales tax. It's been suggested the government could collect about a billion dollars in revenue for every percentage point of a sales tax. What would be the perspective of independent business owners on that?
3: Yeah, no, that, there, there are big worries about deficits, both provincial and federal. Look, nobody was freaked out when Trudeau campaigned on the idea of running modest deficits with a firm plan to get out of it uh, in order to, uh, to, to, to put in, into infrastructure. In fact, Canadians elected a majority Liberal government based on that campaign. But it does seem now that the feds are throwing caution to the wind and saying, okay, it's gonna be $18 billion, potentially as high as 30 billion before we're done. And and at the the provincial level as well, uh, we have got to find ways to restrain government spending in, in many, many ways. This is not the time to start enriching civil service pay or benefits. In fact, we should be looking at reducing that. I know some measures have been taken in Alberta along those lines but we know that today's deficits are tomorrow's taxes the bill is going to come due i've been saying this week that you know deficits are like potato chips they uh, it's hard to stop once you start eating them but the diet afterwards is just brutal and uh, and and that's what i worry we're we're headed for 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 some time both provincially and federally
1: dan kelly president and ceo of the canadian federation of independent business appreciate your time today anytime thanks very much let us know what you think. You can text us to 630-630. We'll go ahead and open up the phone lines now as well. If you were listening right out of the gates this morning and you heard our interview with Rachel Notley, would love to know what you think about what she had to say. 780-496-0063. We'll be right back. <clears throat>
0: Call 780-496-0063 or text 630-630 and join the conversation. The Ryan
1: Jesperson Show on 630 Chat, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. On the text line, following our conversation with Premier Rachel Notley, Lyle says a message for the Premier. The majority of Albertans in the last election wanted a new government, Lyle says. But we don't want the government we've got. Premier, your policies are killing industry as well as my business. Respectfully, the best thing you can do for Alberta is put your political aspirations aside and leave office. Lyle says I would sooner have a paycheck than a food voucher. Mike says Rachel Notley's the worst thing Alberta's ever seen. Her popularity will drop much lower. She's full of it when she says she supports the energy sector. On the other hand, a listener says she talks about economic success for the rest of Canada. I don't hear that from Ontario, Quebec, or BC. You were elected by Albertans. Pay attention to Albertans' needs. Bubba says there are experts in government departments who've built careers around being experts. Why is it necessary to hire outsiders every time the NDP government runs into issues? That's an interesting point from Bubba. You might argue though, Bubba, that in some instances, in some circumstances, it's actually been pretty politically savvy for the government to bring in outsiders. When they brought in Andrew Leach to chair the climate change study, If it would have been a government MLA, you probably would have flipped out, or at least many people would have, right? When they brought Dave Mowat in to quarterback the Royalty Review, a respected banker and executive, imagine if they got, I don't know, their finance minister to do it, or some backbench MLA to chair that. And now, of course, bringing in a a retired journalist to take a look at their policy on press gallery access, etc., well, of course they can't do that in-house. The fact that they had the conversation about it, the debate about it in-house, is what got them into hot water in the first place. Let's find out what Daily Dell has to say, calling into 780-496-0063. Good morning to you.
0: Good morning, sir. You know, boy, I bet you wish you had today to do that interview now.
1: Yeah, of that hey, thing. timing is what it is.
0: Boy, let's see. First. Uh, how dare you, you sexist pig, ask about uh, a pregnant woman, because apparently women get pregnant and have babies. What a condescending answer that was. Um, I would love to debate this woman, because every time you struck a chord, go back and re-listen to the interview. Every time you were close to something that bugged her, the pitch of her voice at the start of that answer went higher and higher. The higher the pitch, the closer to home it hit that she didn't like the question.
1: Yeah, Adele, I'll let our listeners know. I've just tweeted out the link, put it on Facebook as well. You can watch the interview on YouTube as well. It's posted on the 630Chad channel. It might give you some more insight along the lines of what you're talking about.
0: Oh, I'm going to watch it tonight when I get home. Also, the answers she gave you are non-answers. Uh, where, I, what did I say before this election? Bob Ray, 30, $36 billion in debt in Ontario in three and a half years because they didn't care. These guys... Eleven point eight billion, if it holds to what they said, six point eight billion this year plus an additional five. Eleven point eight billion dollars. We have a finance minister that can't say those numbers. Oh, it's an additional five. dollars Was it eleven billion? Well, oh, it's an additional five billion. They can't even say the word. Now, they you, know why, go,
1: Del, you know why, Dell? You know why? Savings. It's because we're it's because we're in the day and age of 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 gifs and and, and or gifs whatever what do the kids call them and, and vine videos and people know that people are just going to loop him saying eleven billion dollar deficit eleven billion dollar deficit.
0: Oh, even worse is they're going to loop him saying uh, an additional five, an additional five, an additional five. I can just see that instead, uh, just going on and on with this, uh, guys, Albertans. You're looking at forty billion in debt by the time these clowns are out of office. This is from years of experience of watching the NDP governments across this country. It's, Ryan, this is not a good sign. They're going to push forward with minimum wage increases. They're going to push forward with taxes. They're going to push forward with everything they can. And they sit there and they go, oh, we can't find any savings. I could cut our provincial workforce by 15% Just getting rid of the overhead waste of extra managers and the nine guys needed for a five-man crew. Well, Dell, it's been suggested that they might have to do that. Well, I could save this province in one year $5 billion. When are you running for office? You know what? Since I started calling into your show, Ryan, I'm getting closer and closer to actually doing that. Well, I'll
1: tell you, the number one thing you need to do is get a Twitter account. Every time you come on the show, people ask, what's Dell's Twitter? So get a Twitter handle already.
0: I gotta mention something about that. I was going to. I was gonna go out and buy a smartphone, get it, uh, get the app, do Twitter. Now Twitter's starting to ostracize and shut down conservatives. Wow. Well, diversity count. Ca- no, with their diversity council, they're starting to pull accounts from conservative commentators. You don't strike
1: me as the type of guy that would have his account closed down, Dell.
0: Oh, are you kidding? You'd,
1: you'd make because, a little noise, but I don't think they'd censor you.
0: Oh, really? Because I've actually talked to friends of mine who are just. Average Joe conservatives down in the U.S. that make comments on this site or that site or make comments uh, to certain people say Anita Sarkeesian, and their accounts were shut down last week.
1: All right, hey, listen, By I got to fit I, in the break. Okay, make it quick.
0: Anita Sarkeesian was just placed on the diversity council for Twitter, and mysteriously, right after that, all of her critics started having their Twitter accounts yanked.
1: Interesting, something to think about. Thanks for the call.
0: Yeah, have a good day.
1: Appreciate it. You too, Dwayne, Bill, Richard, all in line right after this quick break. It's 955 Dwayne calling in from Camrose this morning. Hi Dwayne.
4: Hey, morning. You know, I kind of take exception with how you said that uh Moab was good for uh as a stand-up banker and all that. Okay. Let, let, okay. Hey. Obviously, the NDP agreed that the Conservatives were doing everything they could charge, they could charge everything to these oil companies that they could, because, and said, everything short of the fact that the Conservatives had it right. But, you know, they brought in... Dave Mowat, which was employed by Al Gore, which Al Gore is one of the world's biggest environmentalists. Yeah, and it's not wonder, necessarily...
1: Let me just clarify really quick, Dwayne, what it is. It's not that Dave Mowat was was employed by Al Gore. It is true that several years ago, when Dave Mowat was living and working in Vancouver, he attended a seminar uh, that taught people how to be presenters at screenings of an inconvenient truth. That's the connection.
4: Okay, but still, that just shows that he's an environmentalist and that he fundamentally wants to work against the the energy sector. But you know, this is and I'm and I'm not crushing Dave Moy. What I'm the the NDP are bringing in people that only side with them it's you know and every government does it obviously but we've been force fed that oh no we're for the people well, we're for for the people but they're not they're for their own interests just like most government people are you know it's it's incredible that you watch your uh, polls and they're nose diving because people are actually waking up a little bit now to see that we've been fed a line of horse puck you know it's it's unbelievable like they're no better than any other politician has been the only reason like it's just it it just amazes me here that you ask all these questions to the premier she pretty much dodges them and 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 they weren't hard questions you weren't like, I'm not saying you were lobbing softballs at her, but you weren't throwing hardballs at her either. You were pretty um, civil of the, of the ground. There a, yeah, you Professional. Were, you know, respectful, and, for, yeah, you weren't the rebel, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, she sidestepped everything. Yeah. Hey, Dwayne, listen, it's I've amazing. got a break for the
1: news here, but I really appreciate you calling in, and, and I appreciate you listening to the show. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah. Okay, listen, uh, we've got Bill and Jeanette and Richard hanging tight right now. Uh, We have a bit of a unique circumstance here. Typically at the top of an hour, we'll bring you a guest, but we've decided because yesterday was Heart Pledge Day, which I'd like to comment on, by the way, in just a bit. An incredible success. Ched Nation, you stepped up in a big way. We've also had this interview with Notley. We just talked CFIB. We want to leave you some time. So out of the gates right after these news headlines, the floor is yours. If you're holding right now, don't go anywhere.